What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Slab Talk. I'm your host, Amil Sarfani, and this is my sports card show. I appreciate you tuning in. Today, we've got an awesome guest joining us here on Slab Talk. His name's Timothy, and he is, he's is he got his own YouTube channel, so check it out. Uh, it's called Loco Card Collector. Uh, he's got a great channel himself. Uh, Timothy, I just want to say thank you. Tim, Tim is one of the guys that actually reached out to me, proposed a show framework, proposed this topic to me. Uh, and if you watch this episode and you enjoy what you hear, and if you have a topic that you're interested in and want to come on to Slab Talk uh, to have a discussion like this with me, uh, please do DM me at the Slab Talk on Instagram. You can also send me an email uh, at the Slab Slab Talk uh, at gmail.com. Tim, thank you so much for joining. Today's topic that we're going to be talking about is how is whether or not grading uh, or buying cards raw and getting them graded is still a viable. Uh, strategy in the sports card market. And we'll be talking about other alternative buying strategies, uh, specifically with uh, Starstock as well. So Tim, thank you so much for joining uh, the show. Uh, and let's get into it. But I just want to hear how you got into the hobby uh, and when you started collecting. Thanks, Emil. Uh, yeah, so I actually started collecting as a kid in the 80s. Uh, my dad took me to a card show. Uh, I was a big Lakers fan, even back then, a uh, big Magic Johnson fan. And uh, over the years, I became a big Kobe fan. And um, I didn't collect a lot of basketball to start, but I did eventually get into basketball, especially as Kobe emerged as a star for the Lakers. So that's kind of where it all began. Nice. Uh, Well, you know, if I had known you were a Lakers fan before you proposed the topic that you wanted to discuss on the show, I don't know if we'd be doing a show right now. Obviously, I grew up a Spurs fan and uh, the Lakers were always in the way in those 2000s for us to get even more championships. Uh, what, What was that decade for you with Shaq and Kobe starting in the 2000s? Obviously, I've got my perspective as a Spurs fan, but as an L.A. sports fan, as a Lakers fan, what was that like for you? Uh, Yeah, that's actually the decade that really got me into uh, the NBA uh, as far as just becoming a fan of the NBA. I actually went to my first games, um, you know, my first live NBA games at the peak of Kobe's career. Um, And so it it was just it was a lot of fun to actually be live at the games. And, you know, to start out the decade, it seemed as though the Lakers were going to dominate. And then the the feud with Shaq happened and that kind of kind of broke up the party in the middle of the decade. Uh, but then they, they got it back together uh, for the for the end, for the last uh, three years, the stretch run. Um, so it was fun. It was overall, it was a lot of fun um, going to the games and, um, you know, witnessing some of the, the rivalries. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, you know, for me, you know, I've got some Kobe card and stuff just because I'm a fan of, of, of the best players in the NBA. And, and that's from a, a collectability standpoint. But the Spurs are obviously where I, you know, I'm born in San Antonio. I watched the Spurs growing up. I started watching basketball. Like I turned, I turned seven in 1999 when, when they won their first championship. So for me, my childhood is literally watching Spurs uh, games, watching Tim Duncan and Monte Ginobili and Tony Parker. And of course, you know, growing up, I hated the Lakers. They always stood in our way. And the 2000 to 2002 three peat that they, they put together was very frustrating. Luckily we got it back in 2003, but uh, such a fun decade of basketball, like true greatness in that basketball. I think the Lakers Spurs rivalry going back and forth for most of that decade was a lot of fun. Um, 
But, uh, you know, there's always that conversation for me. Tim Duncan's always one of the best to ever play and a consummate professional, uh, unselfish basketball player, very different from Kobe. And so that was always a, a really fun uh, rivalry growing up. But Yeah, I mean, I know that's the narrative that <laughs> Kobe's the selfish one. And uh, and I do want to say, I, I really think Tim Duncan is a great player. Um, I, it's it's kind of funny because the I, I never thought of him as a top 10 all-time great player. And the reason it came, <laughs> I know, I know. And everybody, everybody was going to shake their head because I've had this <laughs> conversation over and over. And the whole reason it came up is because a buddy of mine is a Warriors season ticket holder and a Kobe hater. And we were just sitting there talking and he said, you know, if I were starting a team, I would build around Tim Duncan before I would build around Kobe Bryant. And my friend, <laughs> I say, yeah, I like your friend. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, I'm, and my first thought is, oh, he just hates Kobe. Like that's how far the hate has gone that he would actually <laughs> build a franchise over over Kobe. You'd even take Tim Duncan over Kobe. And so I threw a question out at him. I said, who would you say was a greater player, Tim Duncan or Akeem Olajuwon? And he's an older guy like me. And he was like, ooh, I don't know, you know. And, I, and in my mind, I'm like, are you kidding? There's no comparison. Elijah Juan was way better than Duncan. That's, so, so then I started asking around. I'm like, hey, how great do you think Tim Duncan is? And over and over, it's like, well, he, you know, five championships, 20 and 10 lifetime, greatest power forward of all time. And so I've, I've finally come to the realization that he probably does belong in the top 10 maybe nine or 10. I don't think he would go above that, <laughs> but, but he does belong. Blasphemy, <laughs> blasphemy. No, uh, uh, Tim, I mean, he led a dynasty. I don't know. I don't, you know, we'll, <laughs> before the anger sets in, let's, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. But uh, you know, for me, obviously Tim Duncan was such a big, such a big piece of the Spurs dynasty and, and it will always be a even top five player in my mind. So top yeah, yeah, is, no, of course. <laughs> Well, so let's get into the topic of today's show, uh, which is, you know, buying or one, how, how did, so you, I know you collected as a kid, tell me a little bit about your history in the card collecting, uh, your, your history in card collecting and, and then why you came back to the hobby in 2020. Okay. Yeah. Those are great questions. Um, so I started collecting, I kept collecting through the late nineties. Um, I would just go out and buy boxes of cards. That, that was my favorite thing to do. Like I'm sure everyone rip right rip wax yeah and uh so i bought cards and just rip boxes and put them you know put them away put them in the shed uh I, I didn't just do that though i actually did sell some of the hitters that i got i would i would sell on ebay ebay was kind of a newer thing at the time once i realized that existed and i could actually cash out on some of these cards that was pretty exciting for me um but the but the market wasn't really obviously it's not what it is today and it was it was really truly down. I know people talk about the market being down right now. Uh, go back to the late '90s, early 2000s. That's the that was the real downtime. Uh, but also, just other things came up in life, and so I kind of stopped collecting. Reason I got back into it in 2020 uh, was the article that came out on ESPN that um, Vegas Dave had sold his Mike Trout for four million dollars. I started looking into card prices at that point for everything, and I noticed that all cards were up. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, to, to me, this was a dream come true because I love the hobby. I I was in the hobby for the love of it since I was a little kid. It was nice that I could sell cards as they went up in value, uh, but I just enjoyed being around the hobby and yep. and buying cards that I like, collecting. I, I'm a collector, probably more so even today still than, than an investor. Um, and so that's kind of how I got back into it. 
Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think I have a similar story. You know, I think we all collected as kids, all ripped wax as kids and, and just had some fun with it, you know, buying packs at stores and stuff. And and similarly to you, it's like, I was listening to Gary Vee, you know, back in 2019, him talking about the Giannis card and how he thought it was a great investment at the time. And, you know, in January of 2020s, when I started really looking into what Gary Vee was talking about, and all of a sudden his predictions were, you know, really far off, but in, in a way that they had exceeded what he'd ever said that they were going to be in the next five years. And that's when I kind of got really interested in it. I'm a massive basketball fan. I watch a ton of basketball. So I was like, this is the perfect thing for me to be able to use all of this like time that I put into this sport that I absolutely love and have some fun, you know, uh, meeting new people, making some money and getting back into a hobby that I, I know I really loved as a kid. So let's talk about how we got into the hobby. Cause I think that's kind of what this episode's all about is, you know, when you get back into the hobby, there's certain ways you can do it, right? You can, uh, there's so many different ways that we could be participating in the hobby, including things like ripping wax, getting into breaks and razes, which are obviously the more, you know, riskier ways to do this, especially with card with box prices as high as they've been in the last two years. Uh, but also then kind of what me and you did a little bit more, which was buying singles, whether it was buying raw or buying graded. Um, and so can you talk me through how you chose to get into the hobby and why you started buying raw cards? Cause I made a conscious decision when I got in that I considered buying raw, uh, but decided to just stick with graded cards. I know we differ in that a little bit. Can you talk me through your approach? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I did start out buying graded cards because it seemed like the easiest thing to do. And, and I really like you, I enjoy watching the games and, and my, my thought process of getting back into the hobby and trying to invest or make money was uh, let me watch the games and let me see who's kind of, who's starting to emerge uh, as a star. One of the, one of my picks was Julius Randall. I'm a big Julius Randall fan anyway, cause he was on mm-hmm. the Lakers. So that was kind of a big hit for me. Um, and, and so uh, from that perspective, there weren't many graded cards of Julius Randall. Nobody was grading his cards, even at the beginning of the NBA season. So I had no choice but to buy them raw. And one of the things that I found is that um, I need to do my homework when buying raw cards because I did buy some raw that were raw. <laughs> they were not nice cards. And uh, and I realized I, basically what I do at this point is I ask questions on every single purchase that I'm going to make, even if the yeah. card looks absolutely perfect in the picture. And I'll ask different questions uh, just depending on how I feel, kind of my mood. <laughs> what type? What types of questions are you asking to get the information that you feel is necessary to make a decision on this? Mm-hmm. Uh, surface is a big one. So I'll just I'll, what I'll do is I'll ask if there are any surface issues that aren't visible from the picture. So I think that's a friendlier way than saying, "Hey, are you trying to hide a scratch on that card?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and usually people will will be forthcoming with that and say, "Oh, I didn't realize there was a slight scratch." And, so I've, I've gotten that as a response. Um, if the corners aren't quite so visible, then I'll ask about the corners. Okay. I don't ask about every aspect of the card on every purchase because I feel like they're essentially what they're going to be thinking is, oh, well, this guy's just trying to see, does, does, is there a PSA 10 here or not? Right. And and people are, actually were defensive about that, like when I was buying raw cards. So that was something really? to navigate through. Interesting. Um so when you would buy raw cards, tell me, can you walk me through 
the economics of what you were thinking about in terms of what you were expecting. Uh, you know, I know you've had a couple subs since you've started what your gem rates been. Can you walk me through a little bit of maybe one of the, I know you, you had a, an experience with the Mike Trout card recently. Can you walk me through what you bought it for, how long you waited, what the grading fee was kind of the economics of, of how that worked. And then ultimately what you ended up selling it for or what it's worth if you still own the card. Yes. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to get good at is evaluating the card once I actually got it back. Um, if if I didn't think it was going to be a PSA 9 or 10, I was not going to send it off. And I did that even with my own collection. So I went through a bunch of older cards and there were many that I didn't feel were worth grading. And I, I like to have that um, as a kind of a, a basis for determining, well, I should get nines or tens. I'm kind of only really looking at that as my, you know, return submission. I'm not sending eights and sevens. Like I don't, I really don't even want to mess with that. If I get an eight, it's just kind of a luck of the draw kind of a thing. So uh, I did send a submission to PSA back in February. It was a 38 card submission. And I looked over every single one of these cards. They, they look good. I felt, you know, probably I felt like 80% of them would come back a PSA 10, right? We all feel that way. <laughs> Yeah. I actually got 40% of the order back as a PSA 10. Um, sure. And I, I, I mean, I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, this was my very first order. So to me, it seems pretty good. The subgroup that I went through, they seemed pretty impressed by it, especially considering some of the cards were older cards. One was a, a Tony Gonzalez rookie card, which was from cool. 1997. So I think when you send older cards and they come back 10s, they're kind of shocked by by that. That was also my own personal collection card too. So nice. Um, yeah, overall. Uh, so the big card in that lot was uh, the, the Mike Trout. Um, it was an Emerald Tops 2013 and the PSA 10 value currently is about $500. I bought that card on offer up for about $75 and paid $65 to get it graded. Uh, we sent that order off in February and it came back in May. So it took about three months for that $65 per card order to come back, which was looking at nowadays, that's not bad at all. <laughs> no, that that's really not, you know, and, and the way that economic works out is that you spend $130, you waited three months to do it and you got a $500, you know, card back. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously there's a 40, you know, your, 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 uh, experience with this process was that you were, uh, you know, ex you, you were getting about a 40% gem rate, which is pretty good. From what I hear, that's about what to expect at this point, especially with PSA maybe tightening up a little bit and not giving as many PSA 10s out there, whatever it may be, but 40% doesn't sound so bad. How do you deal with the variables that come with the, you know, obviously not all your cards come back a PSA 10. How, how did you kind of work through the variables that are so apparent in having to grade raw cards, which include things like um, the timing to wait, right? The cost to grade, uh, you, the price fluctuations that may happen in the three months to even sometimes eight to 10 months is what I'm hearing on some of the, the lower level services uh, and the hobby trends. Like, how do you manage that in your own head when you buy raw? Um, obviously, your price in is a little bit less. How, how much of that does, uh, does that have an effect on how you make these decisions? So one of the things that I look to do when I first um, started buying raw cards is I, I wanted players with somewhat of a track record. Uh, so that, that was, that's kind of how I thought. Now I, I had no idea that the market was going to go as high as it did in February. And I had no idea that it was going to come down as far as it has recently. So, you know, I, I wasn't anticipating those kind of fluctuations, but I felt as though if I invested in players that I 
that look like they're entering the peak of their career and they they kind of have a track record and those players are like Jalen Brown on the Celtics, uh, Julius Randle, who I just mentioned, um, even like um, DeMontis Sabonis or Karis LeVert, they've already had a good, you know, four or five years in the NBA and they seem to be emerging. Um, and so as opposed to guys who either were rookies, you know, Rui Hachimura or Sekou Dumbuya or Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I stayed away from all that stuff. So that that was my big thing as far as, uh, I guess, trying to reduce the risk uh, yeah. buying raw to grade. Because, I, yeah, I don't, I didn't want to buy a card and eight, 10 months later, it's it's worthless because the guy doesn't get any playing time anymore in the NBA. And I, I don't think that's going to happen with those guys that I just mentioned. Right, right. No, and I think that's a I think it's a great point, right? At the end of the day, this is you know however you you kind of get into buying singles, whether it's graded raw or graded or graded cards. The most important part is who you're buying, right? What players you're buying and what cards you're buying of those players. And if you get those two or three things right, then a lot of times you are insulated from uh, things that are going on in the greater part of the market. And I kind of want to contrast this a little bit to, to what I did grow, you know, getting into the hobby, which was buying raw or which was buying graded cards only. Because for me, I was having a lot of tough, I was having trouble wrestling with the the variables that are that are so apparent in grading raw cards, right? A lot of things that I just kind of mentioned in terms of waiting that amount of time uh, to get your card back and having your money tied up. Uh, at PSA or at BGS, and then not knowing what's going to happen in, in, in later on. And we talked a little bit about how we were able to flip some graded cards because the beauty of a graded card is that you buy it, you get it within a week or two, and all of a sudden you can relist it if you really wanted to, or if all of a sudden the the player pops off. You know, one one very specific example of this that I'm glad I bought a graded card for was like James Harden. I bought a James Harden tops PSA 10 when he was on the Rockets for 1500 gets traded, goes off for a few months to there at Brooklyn. His cards get up all the way up to $7,500, $9,000. I sold it there. And, and I liked, I really liked that flexibility. Mm-hmm. But the the flip side of what you're talking about is now we're sitting in this down market and I have a lot of graded cards that I paid a lot of money for. And I'm sitting and I'm sitting on real losses, like re, re, you know, cards that are really down. And I think that's one of the benefits that you're talking about is like you're not in for as much because you, because the the price to get in for a raw card is obviously much less, right? Um, so, is that helping you weather the storm? I guess right now. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess it's I guess that's easy for me to say now, right? Well, the market's down, but if the market were up, then you would be talking about more James Harden stories that you have. Yeah, and it wasn't really about for me. It wasn't thinking like com- I wasn't comparing great you know, buying graded versus buying raw, it was really more what opportunities were there. Um, like, like I said, like um, now I'm buying graded cards because the prices are low. So if I see some deals going off on eBay auctions uh, for, you know, under $100 for cards that I w- that maybe had gone for five or 600 and I'm, I'm really believing the player, to me, that's, you know, I'm going to buy the graded card. So it was just more about price point and um, what was a better opportunity and and I think I kind of maybe shifted more toward raw because the prices of graded cards had were starting to go up so high in January and February. And I just couldn't see putting in so much cash into one, you know, one card of one player. I could I could actually kind of diversify more too with the with raw, you know, because I could spread out the money a little bit more. So that that was probably another thing as well. 
And that's a really good point, right? The ability to, because it's less investment in at any one point to diversify cards, to try more things because you're not in as much. Uh, I've had to be very intentional about my buys. I've had to be very narrow about my players that I invest in because you're right. It's a lot more money to be buying graded cards. And so you just have to be way more intentional. Now, I think that there's opportunity in the idea that less is more. However, when you're learning and when you're new in something like this, you're going to end up making mistakes. And so it's like, all right, I guess it's better to make lower cost mistakes, obviously, mm-hmm. than higher costs and using that as, as, as a, a learning experience instead of kind of what I'm going through right now, which is a learning experience. That's pretty expensive, you know, because I bought graded cards. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's something, but again, it was, it was just kind of dumb luck on my part. I mean, again, I didn't really, if I had the extra cash to put into graded cards back in January and February, maybe I would have bought more graded cards. The other thing is this is the tricky part too, because I was thinking about what you were saying, right? You have the card in hand when you bought that hardened and now you can sell it at any point in time and you pick the time to sell. And I did the same thing with Aaron Rodgers tops PSA 10. Yep. But there are a lot of cards where you have the card in hand and you're not sure um, what to do. And one example of this was the Sean Watson. If I had the Sean Watson PSA mm. 10 uh, for a thousand dollars and it actually did go up in value after that, I could have yep. sold it at a profit, but I was waiting for the big news. He's going to get traded. And fortunately we got different big news. And, <laughs> <laughs> and even, <laughs> even the worst after, big news, the, uh, the worst may not play football again news. Yeah. And after that news, the card, I still could have sold it at break even. But I, I thought, well, how bad is this big news? And now you're playing this game of, well, no, I, I bought it to make a profit. He's still a great player. He's going to get traded. Uh, you know, and then it just kept getting worse and worse. Then as it started going below what I paid for it, now it's like, okay, do I cut my losses at 800? Do I cut my losses at 600? And I still have the card. I mean, and so I think people get caught up in that as well. Like I could have sold it for break even and just got out of the card altogether. But, you know, you didn't buy it to lose money. So that's the that's the hard part, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, I do think strategically taking losses is absolutely a good idea. Like I'm actually doing that right now because I'm trying to free up fund funds that you know, I'm, if I knew again, hindsight 2020, that this was going to be such a good buying opportunity, I wouldn't have put in as much as I did before. And I would have waited until now. Again, hindsight 2020, we, you know, we just have to adjust now and pivot. Um, But that's my other kind of issue with buying raw is that you've got the card, maybe you could have uh, sold it at a profit during a really, really nice selling window, but it was stuck at PSA Mm -hmm. or BGS. Mm -hmm. And you missed a selling window and maybe you would have sold it. Like maybe you were trying to flip that card. You just didn't have it in hand. How do you deal with that? Because that's something I just like, I didn't want to take that risk basically of missing a selling or a buying window. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, so the, the low price point is, is the main thing. Uh, and I actually did buy a James Harden uh, raw, same tops rookie card. Uh, I bought that on, on the star stock website. Cool. So I know it's going to, they they kind of pre-qualify the cards. So I know it should be a nine or a 10. That's kind of their, I won't call it guarantee, but basically that's their guarantee. Uh, and I paid $800 for the card. So um, if it comes back at 10, I think I still, I don't know what the card's trading for right now as a PSA 10. I want to say maybe two or three grand. Yeah, something like that thing. I have to look it up. I'll look um, it up real quick, but. 
and I believe the nine is still even in the, you know, just below a thousand dollars. I don't think it went down too crazy, but again, I haven't checked. <laughs> if you don't check card prices in, in a couple of weeks, you could be way off. <laughs> yeah. Harden PSA 10 uh, looks like a couple have sold for about 2000 and the PSA nine is currently going for about 473. Oh, wow. Wow. That really went down. That yeah. might be a buy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it is tied up. Obviously, who knows when I'm going to get it back. I don't think that a nine will go much lower than 473. That's just my opinion. So I think that's how I handle it mentally. <laughs> I don't see it going down to 250. Um, my thought is that as the NBA season approaches, which maybe when I get the card back, it hopefully kind of rebounds a little bit. Um, so worst case scenario, I break even, or if I get the 10, I, I make out a little bit. That was one of the bigger cards that I purchased on Starstock. And obviously I was excited when I saw it go up because I bought it before it really spiked. Right. And it, it is frustrating to see that, you know, <laughs> how high it went and then how far it's come. And I couldn't do anything about it because it's tied up at PSA. That is a frustrating thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that one thing you kind of touched on there is like, how, how do you change, how do you adjust your strategy going forward? Right. Right now, because prices are down so much, maybe it's a good time to be picking up PSA tens and not worrying about grading overall, especially with PSA and BGS closing their doors for lower level submissions. Um, can you give me a little bit as someone who does grade, I, I don't really grade at all really. So I don't really care as much about PSA being open or not open, mm -hmm. but as someone who does, how do you, how does that, how does that affect your strategy going forward? As far as like, am I looking to buy raw still? Yeah, um, or or cards that you were going to submit, are you looking at different grading companies to submit to? Or are you just waiting? What what's your plan there, or how would you think about it? Right. Yeah. Um, so I I am also using HGA, um, okay. and I know they're brand new, and there's really no track record for them. I I just went to a card show for the first time as a dealer. I set up as a dealer, nice. and I had a few HGA slabs. And I think people were intrigued by the look of this lab, but obviously if nobody knows what's going on with that company, they're not really looking to buy. Um, but again, I, I bought these raw cards at such low price points and I'm using the low dollar, $20 per card rating option that I'm keeping the costs minimal. Um, and it's, to me, it's worth the risk at that, at the, at the grading price and at the raw prices, I'm willing to take a chance. You can only grade nine cards per week anyway with them. So it's not oh, a wow. I'm not submitting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cards. <laughs> got it. Got it. Right now, I'm mostly looking at graded cards to, to buy on eBay. Yeah. With just even those hardened prices, you just, you just, um, I would, I would look for a nine right now. If I could find one at that price, I would strongly consider buying a card at that price. So that's kind of how I feel about most uh, NBA cards right now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of great players that are way below. I think what the potential is for next NBA season. Yeah. Yeah. And we're about to hit the off season. So we're hitting both the off season dip plus the market dip in general. It's probably a great buying opportunity right now. I know I've been buying and I know I'm getting ready to go to the national here in a few weeks, about a month now, and looking to kind of make a big buy on a graded card that I believe in because I think it's a good time to buy cards. Now, I do think that the opportunity in grading or in buying raw cards could be at shows, right? Like seeing these cards in person allows you to maybe evaluate a card much better and which shows getting back open with, you know, COVID, you know, us moving 
on from COVID a little bit and these shows being a lot more prevalent, um, there could be a nice way to pick up high-end cards that PSA or BGS is still accepting service levels on and that being a strategy. Is that something that you would consider or are you still buying graded cards? Um, I, I don't really look to buy high-end cards in general. I think the 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 most expensive card I was looking to buy was a Mike Trout uh, Tops update. Uh, the same guy I bought the the Tops crowd the em- Emerald card that I got graded. He wouldn't sell it. I was willing to pay fifteen hundred dollars for the raw card. It looked great. Um, and other than that, though, I'm I'm not really looking to buy because again, it goes back to that whole price point thing. Um, I, I wasn't I wasn't willing to spend um, you know. 3000 on a PSA 10, Mike Trout, just because of the, the pure, the dollar amount was a lot. Sure, um, sure. So, uh, you know, spending two or 3000 on a high-end raw card to me is even more risky than just buying the PSA 10, you know, even at a higher price. I'd, I'd rather have, no, I have the PSA 10 in hand. It, it, it's just, it becomes too risky at that high of a price point. Also, the other thing I noticed at card shows, I just went to a card show this past weekend, a lot of dealers don't like people taking the card out and, and kind of analyzing it. It's not really a, a thing that, that goes on. Um, for raw? For right. For raw. Yeah. Like we've done, you know, like, Hey, can we, can we take that out of the, you know, out of the, the top loader? Can we take it out of the sleeve? At that point, you're touching a very expensive card. I, I feel like there's no mechanism there. There needs to be something where you can kind of get away in a more quiet space where there's not everybody hovering. Cause I can imagine as a dealer, if you're pulling out a $3,000, and somebody comes along and bumps you and bumps the card. I mean, it seems like a lot of dealers, they, they frown when you want to actually touch the raw card itself or even have them touch it, you know, uh, because I, I would like to look at it with a, with a, you know, magnifying glass or something, you know, just to, to, at a minimum since I'm there in person. Nice. That makes sense. Uh, and it's interesting. Now let's, let's, transition to something that you had mentioned a little bit before is which is buying cards on Starstock. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with Starstock and and what you're doing there and why you think that may be an opportunity? Yeah, I well, so the thing about Starstock and and kind of ties into what we're talking about buying raw um just in general at card shows or in person is Starstock already pre-grades your cards. Um and I like that feature. So there has there is a little trust factor because they've only had one order come back from PSA and they you know they obviously bragged about the return um, you know the submission they got I think forty three percent PSA tens mm. uh, and then maybe fifty percent PSA nines and then they had they did have some eights in um, that Starstock A category correct yes so what ninety you say ninety three percent came either PSA nine or ten right yeah and since that time I know that they've gotten tougher on pre-grading because when I sent my first order in, they sent them off no problem. When I sent the second order in, they returned five cards that they decided were not actually Starstock A quality cards. So they actually uh, either gave me the option of giving my money back for the entire price of the card, or they called it a Starstock B and refunded the difference between an A and a B. So it was kind of my option what I wanted to do with that. Nice. And have you bought on Starstock? You've bought the Starstock A, and then they send it off to grading. Like if you choose to grade it, they 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 handle the submission, right? Like mm-hmm. they handle it all, and then it comes back into your Starstock um, account as whatever it is: PSA nine, ten, BGS, whatever. 
Um, and then you can either choose to have it mailed back to you or you can keep it on there and sell it on their site as well, right? Because they obviously do sell graded cards as well. Right, correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so there's a, you know, there's not a lot of users on Starstock and that actually creates a, a great buying opportunity, even for graded cards. I don't know if you've ever looked at the site at all, but you can yep. find some sneaky deals because there just aren't a lot of users. So there aren't, aren't as many eyes on the whole platform as you would, you know, you would find with eBay. So it's, it's terrible to sell, right? Any, any good graded cards, I, I request them back and they're yeah, yeah. going to sell them. I'm going to either sell them on eBay or I want to have them in hand, kind of like what you were saying in case I need to move it because something happens. That's interesting. Cool. What other opportunities are you seeing right now? Do you like, what's your, what's your, what's your strategy moving forward? How, how do you feel about the card market and uh, what do you, what is your plan moving forward? So at this point, I'm going to continue to look for graded card deals because I just feel like there's more and more um, nice cards that maybe I couldn't buy back in January, February, um, so that I can get into at much lower price points. I think that's where my focus is right now. Ultimately, though, um, I, again, I like the Starstock platform because you already have a nice raw card and I can I can use a formula to determine, hey, was this, is this Starstock A card? A good value or not if i if i plug it into the formula and i realize hey if i this grades a nine or a ten my profit percentage is x you know 50 percent or 100 percent. i like that buy i'm going to continue to look for those deals all all day long um and there, there there should be fewer and fewer of them either as the market heats back up or as more people get on starstock you know as there's more buyers but for now that, that's where i see the opportunity the good buying opportunities Nice. Yeah. That, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I think I see a lot of opportunity in graded sports cards right now, uh, buying cards that, like you said, like I didn't think I had an opportunity to buy before this. I thought I kind of missed the boat on some of these cards and all of a sudden they've kind of come back into kind of my range of what I'm willing to spend. And and so it's like, okay, cool. So let's, let's, let's play with this one now and mm -hmm. see if we can get some really nice high end cards. And again, coming back to that idea that in eight months or whatever it may take to get back a graded submission, well, I guess PSA is only even accepting like the 200 level dollar submission right right now anyway. But um, I'll take my chances on within a year, that card in a graded form goes up in value uh, instead of taking the chance on basically trying to get the grade that I want uh, and mm -hmm. playing that game of missing a selling window. So I think I'm right there with you. Of I think that's the strategy moving forward. So, yeah, so I convinced you to take a look at buying raw at all. You're still just going to buy graded. You're not going <laughs> to. No, I, you know, no, no, no. Actually, it's you what a lot of the things that's a great question, honestly. And, and the reason why I am actually looking at some raw stuff going to card shows because I'm going to be going to some more mm -hmm. card shows as uh, as as things open up a little bit more um, is that that's where I'm going to be starting to look at more raw cards. Now, I don't have like the skill right now in, in terms of evaluating a card to make sure. So I'm still hesitant. Like mm -hmm. every time I get close to buying a raw card, I always get a little scared because it's like, I don't know if this is going to come back the grade I want it to. Uh, mm -hmm. And then my only problem with having lower grades of, of cards that you know, depending on what card you're buying, they're hard to move. And mm -hmm. like, that's, I don't, you know, that's the game I get a little bit scared to play. Now, right. yeah. having gone through what I just went through with the, this big dip that we're going through right now, there is a part of me that says, let's put a little bit less in uh, on a specific card. 
uh, and try it. And I, and more so than anything, like we talked a little bit about this before is like, it's, it's almost just honing a skill. It's just like trying new things and trying to figure out ways of opportunities. And right now, because I don't really grade, it's not something I feel like I can take advantage of whenever that becomes an opportunity again, if it becomes an opportunity again, because I haven't really tried it very much. So I do want to try grading raw cards because of just what we talked about a little bit before, which is just trying new stuff, you know, and trying to learn a new skill so that when those opportunities arise, uh, I can take advantage of them. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So sorry about that. It, it seems like the, the connection cut out a little bit. Yeah, so a little I, kind bit. Of, I kind of missed the second of it, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but the basic idea just being that I, I, I want to try it just to try a new skill, basically, like just to try, just to see what, see what happens because it's not something I did. And if I ever did find a nice raw high end card, I think that's where my head's going with it is like, it would be nice to see if I, if I trusted the seller that they're, you know, that it's a good quality card, maybe that would be my avenue in is trying to get my hands on a nice raw high end card. Uh, but again, a lot of those cards have already been graded. And if they're sitting there raw, why did that person not grade it again? All these questions start coming back into my head about, you know, why that even exists in raw for, form sometimes. That's a, that's a really, yeah, that's the main question. Um, and, and the other thing I've noticed is there are a lot of collectors who are kind of have the feeling that you have where they're just, they had, they had the card, they bought it. Maybe they pulled it in a pack and they know it probably will grade well, but they're afraid. Oh, what if I send it and it comes back a PSA eight? I don't even want to find out. And so I, I bought a Mike Trout uh, 2011 Bowman Chrome that looked really good to me. And I was willing to pay the guy $800 and find out. And so, yeah. so I, I do think that there are some higher end cards that people are just, they're just like, ah, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I, I feel like grading maybe hasn't fully evolved to what maybe it will be in the future because a lot of people just aren't sure about what they're going to get. You know, I will say where I have bought raw is on some of these sets that I really like that are numbered cards that I that are coming in the one touches that are sealed, like mm. that I know are right factory, you know, right out of the factory sealed box. That's where I'm like, okay, maybe this is interesting to me because I don't really care to get like this Damian Lillard card, this Panini one in one timeless moments. Expensive card raw as well. It's not like it's a cheap card raw, mm-hmm. but I'm okay buying it raw because I know it's it came out of the Panini one-in-one box. It's factory sealed. It's got that sticker and it's less, you know, if I ever do want to send this into grading, I know I have a pretty decent chance that it's uh, going to get a good grade because it came directly from the box. And when I know that, okay, cool. Like I'll try that out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely a good one. And and cards like that, I don't even think. It they don't need to be matter. graded. It, it, or, or it's not going to really matter the, the grade. Uh, there's, there's certain cards like that as well. And I've, I've kind of been paying attention to that and and I would even consider grading some star stock B cards for that reason. I'm not so worried about the grade. For sure. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining the show. I I think this is a a really fun conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Yeah, I really did. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. No problem. Uh, give Tim a follow at loco card collector on YouTube. Uh, give me a follow on, on Instagram at the slap talk, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube and if you're listening on podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. I really do appreciate it. And if you want to come on the show and be a guest on slap talk, like Tim do what Tim did and reach out DM me. Cause that's really all it takes is just to put yourself out there and we'll work through a show, uh, and see if it, if it's something that we want to do, but Tim, thanks again for joining me. And I really appreciate it. <laughs>